0: This podcast is brought to you by year successcom a free online
1: course on success. Enroll at Year2Success.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters. International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Well, folks, Ryan and I debated at length as to how we were going to introduce our guest speaker today, we thought that if we had to pick from all of the things that he's done, that it would be trying to pick almost like amongst our favorite children or favorite child. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask Miles Drake to introduce himself. Miles, take it away. And welcome to the Toastmasters podcast.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. So yeah, my name is Miles Drake. I'm 27 years old. I live in a small town called Grimsby, Ontario. I got into Toastmasters after working for a rally car race team in Vermont and the United States. And I left that trying to find a little bit more of an area that I could have an impact in my life. And I uh, came across a tour put on by an organization called Live Different. I joined them and we traveled across Canada and got to speak in front of almost 30,000 students uh, all across the country sharing our stories and impacting the lives of youth. It's been quite a journey and definitely an honor. And like I said, it's an honor to even be able to share this with you guys. So thanks again for having me on.
1: Most welcome.
0: So Miles, you are featured in the January 2018 issue of the Toastmaster Magazine. The article is a race to the stage. I see you conveniently left out your cheerleading and yoga experience, Uh, (laughs) and that's fine. Perhaps that'll come up uh, as as we chat here. Part of your your story here, Uh, And it's not all covered in the the magazine. I watched your TEDx talk, which was fantastic. And something that was interesting in there is that you it sounds like you I don't know if you dropped out of high school or you just needed to repeat your senior year of high school. And then a short time later, you're enrolling in engineering school, which we don't normally think of folks who repeat their senior year in high school going into engineering school of all types of educational (laughs) pursuits. But can you share a little bit about that experience?
2: Yeah, for sure. That's really funny that you brought that up. When I was in my senior year in high school, the first time, grade 12, kind of what they call it in Canada, I was still really in this pursuit of trying to, I, I loved dirt bikes and I raced motocross growing up. That was kind of my goal to, to race professionally. And so when I was in my senior year of high school, I was. it's an expensive sport and I was working quite a lot. I got really, really poor grades, and every school that I applied to, uh, I was denied entrance. My academic performance was so poor that the only real option was to repeat the entire year, and so I had to repeat all of my maths, all of my sciences, and then, kind of interesting, once all your friends are gone, you kind of feel isolated, but that allowed me to focus a lot more on the work, and so I really buckled down and got my marks up, and I got accepted into uh, McMaster University University, the next year, and yeah, and then I went off to engineering school, and it was tough, but I mean, I definitely, I I studied automotive engineering, and having dirt bikes, loved dirt bikes for most of my life, it was very applicable, so it was was an enjoyable way to go through school.
0: Awesome, and one of the parts of your story that I love is how you ended up working for the Subaru Rally Team USA, um, which, uh, if you can share with us how, how your tour of the facility led to landing that job i thought that was just a, a brilliant anecdote
2: yeah so when i was in my last year of university i was i really wanted to get a job on a race team at that point it was pretty obvious that my own professional career in as a motocross racer wasn't going to happen and so i went to england and i applied to pretty much every formula one team that was there i also applied to like Cosworth, some of the the bigger engine development places. I found Subaru Rally Team USA, which was a lot closer to me, and I called them up, and I basically just said, like, I would love to come for a tour. Is there any way that you could show me around your facility? And the guy who I was talking to, the operations manager, was like, yeah, give me a call in the morning, and we'll see if we can do that. You know, I have to leave now to be able to make it there by tomorrow morning, so I kind of need to know if you can even just give me, like, a 20-minute tour. And he was like, okay, fine. We can do that. And the next morning, I showed up at about 9 o'clock uh, with a planned 20-minute tour, and he showed me around. And, you know, I, I was talking to a lot of the different people that worked there and trying to get an idea of them, and 20 minutes turned into four hours, it's kind of building rapport with some of the people that were there. And eventually, I got to speak with the chief engineer, and I just kind of got to sit down and kind of ask him um, about the cars and about, the, about their program. I had been, like, very obsessed with what was uh, the latest technology in motorsports. I had a lot of relevant questions to ask him, and the operations manager who brought me on the tour was just kind of like blown away by the uh, coming from Ontario just for that tour and kind of the enthusiasm. That was how he worded it. And eventually, I ended up landing a a 90-day internship, which turned into a full-time gig right after graduating. It really worked out.
0: You know, putting yourself out there, taking initiative of it. What, what a great testimony to the power of being proactive.
2: And I guess even like the worst case scenario was I was still going to get a tour of a like a world class facility. So, I mean, worst case scenario is still going to be a win. And it just ended up going way better than expected.
0: And here's the crazy part. So you got this job. You loved the job yet you decided to walk away from it. What, why did you leave your dream job?
2: That's a really good question. Sometimes that thought even creeps into my mind now, but motorsports racing is a really interesting industry because the cars need to be made so fast and there's just massive budgets and it's this chaotic frenzy, but it's very exciting. You have to be very committed to it. And I was working with the team and kind of helping with engine development and the design of the cars. I I'd kind of moved myself completely away from everything that I, I had in my life in Canada, right? Like, um, I have a pretty big family, and so I left my family, and it was an amazing job. But my whole life, I always kind of had a goal. It was always like when I was 10 years old, the goal was to buy a dirt bike, right? Because my uncle let me ride his scooter. And then once I got a dirt bike, the goal was to start racing. Once I started racing, the goal was to become a pro. Once that didn't happen, I was like, well, the goal is still to go to university to get a job on a race team. But then I kind of got there a lot earlier than I expected, to be honest. And I was like 23, 24 years old, and I didn't know what the next goal was. kind of came to this place where I was like, what do I do now? Because achievement is different from fulfillment, right? Like I found when I was in Ontario and Canada, I, I was doing a lot of volunteering for youth, a program called City Kids in Hamilton. And I got to work with these really young kids and I like to do uh, tricks, and that's what I ended up doing in the high school presentations, Uh, it felt like the achievements didn't matter anymore, and I wasn't getting that in my job at Subaru. And so I was kind of looking for how I could find that, and I I did some big brothering. That was good, but I was definitely looking for a little bit more of how I could find that fulfillment, and then uh, I ended up finding... Uh, like a wicked opportunity with the Live Different, Uh, having their tour, they had posted on their website that they were accepting applicants the next year. And I just, I was just like, wow, like that's something that I would love to do. I, I never really believed that I could do that. That was really where Toastmasters came into play. I saw their listing, this organization Live Different, and I applied for it, but they didn't respond back to me right away. They didn't even really acknowledge that my email was sent or anything like that. In my head, I was like, oh, they they must have looked up on YouTube if I have any like professional speaking experience, which I have none. You know, I've done zero speaking and the tour was to speak to students and to be in front of crowds of up to a thousand students at a time. When I, I heard about Toastmasters and I was like, this sounds like the way to do this. And I went to a, a Toastmasters club and really like the part of my own psyche that kind of had to be broken down was I didn't really know if I could do it, but I went to uh, Toastmasters with greater Burlington in Vermont and it started going. After my first speech, I could not stand on my feet flat or else my legs would shake. I was so nervous and I had cue cards in hand, and, but it was uh, such amazing feedback at the end. And I filmed every talk that I did and I sent it to live different. And by about the fourth talk that I sent them, They finally called me back and they're like, "Okay, it looks like you're actually trying to uh, get some experience here. And in that conversation, they offered me a spot on the tour. And at that point, it was a pretty easy decision. I think
0: that's amazing. So you even sent them your icebreaker speech where, as you said, your knees were were practically knocking together and you're fumbling with with no cards. Yeah. Nice. All's well that ends well, my friend, (laughs) you got the job.
1: I found it interesting as to how you found out about Toastmasters. Many people find out about it by maybe reading about it or perhaps someone twisting their arm. You heard about it during a Q&A session at a seminar you went to?
2: Yeah, so I went to a seminar uh, put on by a guy named Brendan Burchard, who's pretty big in the personal development space, and he puts on seminar is called high performance academy it's kind of about getting your psychology right getting basically being more productive in general and so it was really applicable to the job at the time at subaru you know this will help me step up the ladder even faster and so i attended brendan put on A. a q a said if you have any questions now's the time to ask and this 16 year old kid put up his hand and he's like how do i do what you're doing i think that was what a <laughs> lot of the people were thinking but this young kid he was the one who stood up and said it brendan said well Public speaking is something that you you just gotta basically go in and kind of acknowledge that you might suck at first, but it, it is a skill and it's developed like any other skill through practice, through repetition, through feedback of others. You know, one of the best ways is to join an organization like Toastmasters. And I heard Toastmasters, and I had no idea that was the first time that I'd ever heard that or like remembered somebody telling me about Toastmasters. It was kind of funny because I was asking. Later, my parents, I was like, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's obviously a very well-known name, but that was the first time that it had come across my radar. And then I went home and Googled to see if there were any Toastmasters in my region, and there was one like 15 minutes away. And I was like, man, this has been here all along. And so I went like the very first opportunity I could, which is like a week later and had a huge impact on my life.
1: And that's why we don't want to have Toastmasters as a well-kept secret. It shows a testament as to the importance of not only a presentation, but the Q&A session afterwards. Good point.
0: Miles, from when you accepted the position with Live Different and took the stage for the very first time in front of a high school audience, how long had you been a Toastmaster at that point? And how confident or unconfident (laughs) did you feel the first time you presented for Live Different?
2: So I started in... January of 2016 with Toastmasters, and then I began with Live Different. Our first presentations were in September of that year. It was about nine months, and I had gone through my CC. And when I first started with Live Different, I think one of the biggest things that I went through was at Toastmasters, I I enjoyed doing talks about topics that could be backed by science or that could have a story told about them that wasn't associated with me. And then Live Different, it was all about the speaker. So it was the speaker having to share their story with the audience. And the thing that I always struggled with was I, I thought I've, you know, been born and raised in this privileged community. Like, what could people even learn from me? So when I finally dug into the details, it was pretty neat. Uh, I was sharing with the other Live Different uh, members, and they're like, wow, that's a, that's a really powerful story. It was kind of interesting to hear that because I had never thought that myself, right? The very first time I shared that in in front of an audience, I was like petrified, just because that was that was by far like the most I'd ever exposed of myself and to the most amount of people. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it was not, it was almost never easy to do it. I feel like the nerves kind of serve a purpose. Like if uh, I didn't have any nerves at all, it it would almost be like I didn't care. And I, I found that because we did so many presentations. Like I said, we spoke to almost 30,000 students. And there were some days where, a couple of days, where I was just like, oh, you know, like, this will be easy. And I felt like if I had no nerves, then my performance suffered. And it was almost like the anxiety kind of turned into, you know, like energy. <laughs> the harder it was, the better it was, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But that, that was my experience with it.
1: No, it's a great way to handle the anxiety is to turn that into powerful energy that you can turn around. Obviously, speaking to students or speaking to youth can have a significant impact on their life. Tell us a little bit about Live Different and what, what it's all about.
2: So Live Different is a, it's a non-profit nonprofit is located in Hamilton, Ontario. That's where it's uh, headquartered and it's kind of split into two different divisions. So the one division, they have home builds in like Mexico, Dominican Republic, Haiti and they occasionally do things in Thailand. But they have a uh, full-time staff in Dominican, in Mexico, and in Haiti, and they just they find people in their community that are deserving of a home. And then they have uh, students from high school come down, kind of like a Habitat for Humanity-type project, and come together and build homes. And then the other part of their structure is the presentation. So they have uh, motivational presentations. They have three tours that go simultaneously all year, one tour that goes to the western region of Canada, one that goes to the eastern, and as of recently, they started an indigenous tour that goes to the northern, uh, more isolated communities. These motivational presentations, and they work really well together because at the presentations, they talk about their home build projects. That's where they ultimately get students to sign up for them. You know, have this very meaningful, very often life-transforming experiences. Even if they don't go on like the home builds, they are often, you know, left with an understanding of the speakers or of the message of the theme of the presentation. So it's an amazing organization. I'm still love all the people there. And I did that one tour and I'm planning to do more with them.
0: That's amazing. Miles, I understand your topic is empathy, which I noticed is also the topic of your TEDx talk. Can you share a little bit about the platform, if you will, of empathy and why that's such a powerful and important message for you?
2: The presentation when I was with Live Different, the the theme was Fix the Focus, Choose Empathy First. And when I first started with Live Different, I didn't even really have a true understanding of what empathy was. I, I grouped it with sympathy and realized now that there's a huge difference between the two. One being sympathy is I feel bad for you. And then empathy is more I feel with you. I understand or at least I'm trying to understand what you're going through. Empathy is kind of just, it's the idea of placing ourselves in someone else's shoes. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the reason for any of the negative emotions we feel often come from a lack of empathy. A perfect example is being cut off in traffic and just thinking like, oh, this person is trying to make me have a terrible day. But who knows what could possibly be going on in their car. They could be super late for work or in an emergency situation, you know, having that possibility or that thought of, oh, maybe they actually are in a rush. That alone right there is empathy. Going to all these different schools, it was a really interesting experience because empathy is often an exchange, right? When somebody shares something that they've been through high or low, those are often when we're able to feel strongest with one another. It's when we talk about the things that make us most happy or most excited or the things that we drew the most pain from in our life. When we went on these tours, there were three speakers and each speaker spoke about the highs and the lows of their life, which is really interesting because in about a seven-minute snippet, you kind of get a pretty strong understanding of a person. You feel like you've gotten to know them. We spoke in front of all these students kind of sharing our stories, and then afterwards, we'd have just huge amount of students come up to us and want to share something personal to us, like as speakers, and there was all sorts of stories being shared and Every day was would make me think to myself, wow. And I remember one, one day in particular where some kid came up nine years old or something like that and he just shook my hand and he was like, thank you. I thought it was so funny that this little kid was just drawing such appreciation from it. And the thought that went through my head was, this is the best thing that I could be doing right now. That was one of the only times I've ever had a clear thought like that. You know, I could be doing a million different things, but right now I feel like this is, The most important thing for me to be doing. And students would often share things that they would not share with anybody else. It was almost like we were like a private messenger, or some kind of kids would have parents that had passed away, or they would have friends that had passed away, or they would have like some pretty traumatic experiences. And I think a lot of times what happens with those is that they're not shared, right? And they kind of get pushed down into a person and they don't get revealed. It plays out in their lives later down the road. That was just like a really interesting opportunity and a really good opportunity for them to like let it off their chest because they knew that we weren't going to judge them. The whole theme was empathy and basically keeping away from judgment. Even just like looking back on some of the different schools and some of the different talks, it's crazy how much trust a student could have in the speakers from such a short presentation. And it was just through spoken word, right? Very powerful.
1: It's amazing. It sounds like you've had a significant impact on people. In the article, you make reference to a 12-year-old whose dad had passed away in a house fire and this individual's personality flipped. Could you maybe share with us, what did that look like? I'm trying to picture it.
2: Yeah, uh, so that was in one of the uh, Indigenous reserves. What was really interesting about speaking at those schools was that you would be speaking, it really would feel like the students weren't listening because they weren't I feel like they struggled often to have eye contact the most. I would be going through my presentation and I would be, I'd just be like, they're not even, they have no idea what I'm saying right now, right? They're not even looking at me. <laughs> and then it would end and they would come up to us and then they would just kind of sit there, stare at you and almost waiting for you to say something. And so we just say, how did you like the show? And they just like nod their head. And we just try to ask them about their lives and just try to kind of get them talking, right? Get them to be saying things and, and knowing that we care about what they say. This young guy from the article, he was just sitting there and he like, he was really, really quiet. But when he, he looked at me and he was like, I have something to tell you. But then he didn't say it for like five or even 10 minutes. He was just like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, oh, what do you want to tell me? And I didn't know if he was like going to tell me a joke or something. Like a lot of these kids, they have their funny jokes that they will play on you. It took a long time. And then Eventually, he, he had like tears in his eyes. And then I, at that point, I realized, like, holy, this kid is like letting something out right now. He barely got it out. He was whispering and shaking. Wow. And he ended up telling me that his, their house had burned down and his dad was in the house when it happened. And it was two years ago. He got it out and like he had a bit of an emotional release. He was crying a little bit, like a couple of tears shed. But within a couple of minutes, he just had the biggest smile on his face and was running around and was like playing tag or whatever he was doing but he was just it was like he just was lit on fire and he was just like having the time of his life and he uh collected pokemon cards like a huge (laughs) stack of pokemon cards and he was showing the band and he was showing us and he was like this is my favorite card and we're like oh that's an awesome card like oh that's cool and he was like here take it and we're like no, we're not gonna, we're not, we don't want to take your best card away from you. And he was like, no, take it. And he, gave, like, he threw it in our hand and ran away. And like, he wouldn't accept no for an answer. Like, He was like, you're taking my favorite card. I don't know. I guess it was like his form of payment or something like that. And he would not take it back. It was just so crazy to see such a shift in, such a, in real time, right? Like right in front of your eyes. That image definitely will not leave my mind.
1: Wow, what a breakthrough.
2: Yeah, it definitely was.
0: Early in our discussion, Miles, you mentioned this question that keeps recurring to you of what's the goal now? I've been waiting since then to ask you this. So what is it now? What, what are you pursuing? What are you engaged in? And where do you see, see yourself going with your life, with your career at this point?
2: One of the things that really I felt like allowed me to interact with students And it was kind of funny because I wasn't doing it for the the first maybe month of the tour because every time I would walk on stage after about a month, I I did a lot of handstands. And so I I learned kind of how to walk a fair amount of space using just my hands. And I I started doing that in the tour and it got the kids going crazy. The after engagement was just, the effect of it was so substantial. I, I was really worried that it would make me look like I was being arrogant or just trying to stuck attention, right? They loved it, and they it caused them to pay attention, just like it was different. I have a, a bit of a, a, a cheerleading background and a yoga background, and so I would do that at the end of the presentation. The engagement from the kids was just insane, right? It was crazy how much they just saw it, and I guess almost took the words that I said a little bit more, I don't know if it seriously is the right word, but empathy is sometimes like a bit of a sensitive topic. I guess when they saw that, they just believed it a little bit more, but and later on in February, I'm going to a region in China to be studying under Shaolin monks in like Shaolin Kung Fu. And so I'm going to be there for the next four and a half months. Uh, I've been planning it now for almost two years, being in that kind of environment and kind of having like a very strict routine and kind of allowing my mind to be given the space that I think it needs. When I, when I originally studied yoga, I went to India and it was a similar experience where I went to this school every day you would have to wake up at the same time and you would have breakfast at the same time and you'd have lunch at the same time and dinner at the same time. And it was so structured, but it was really interesting how the body adapts to that, right? Because, like, every day lunch was at 1 o'clock and at, like, 12.58, all of a sudden you'd be super hungry and you'd be like, why am I hungry? And then the bell would ring. And it was just, like, such a, like, the body really starts to adapt. And so when I had these, like, spaces of time from, like, 6 to 9 p.m., where it was just nothing at all. It was just my brain kind of was able to wander, and so I would I would write down my thoughts in a journal and just keep writing and writing. And I'd never really experienced mental clarity like that before. So that's one of the big reasons that I'm I'm going to China. When I return, the plan is to go on the tour again with Live Different. I'm hoping this time as the road team leader, like, and try to have maybe a deeper impact while I'm there. I don't I don't know what's after that, but that's that's at least the next year and a half or so of my life.
1: Well, Miles, this has certainly been enlightening. Obviously, you're making a difference for a lot of people, and you're certainly continuing on your personal growth and plan on helping others in the future as well. Perhaps you can just share just where people can reach you and where they can get a hold of you if they want to find you.
2: A really good way is through Facebook. I have a a speaker page. It's just Miles Drake, M-Y-L-E-S-D-R-A-K-E, Instagram, which is just miles.drake. My social feeds kind of uh, are the best way and it's been an honor to be a part of this podcast. I really appreciate you guys interviewing me and allowing me to share this message. It's pretty surreal. Thank you guys, honestly. It means a lot.
0: Most welcome, sir. Take care. Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.